down. They're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. South Coast tonight. I'm Marcus. 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the show. That was Adam Bass of the North Star Reporter up in North Attleboro and um, and the uh, Cod Cabin Podcast, which is a great Massachusetts podcast. Um, you know, uh, well, there's a lot of good ones. Well, not actually, honestly, there aren't that many good ones. Uh, there's our podcasts here at WBSM. You've got the horse race with Lisa, Lisa Kaczynski and Politico and Steve Cazell and them. And you got the Cod Cabin um, with Adam Bass. And it's really, it's difficult to find local products uh, that, that give you local stuff because everybody's always talking about Trump and Biden. And you can kind of find that everywhere, right? Having said that, <laughs> I actually do want to talk about Biden's visit to Massachusetts because I think it, it pertains to us. I think it, I, it's interesting the administration their first term seems to be spending quite a bit of time in Massachusetts. I don't know, you know, I think it's because, and Chris said this the other day, the Massachusetts economy is really a workhorse. Uh, and with all of the developments that we have up here, with all the major, major industries that are, te- are, are, are taking off or have taken off in Massachusetts, um, it's really a place that's going to get a lot of attention nationally. But... So far, I know Kamala Harris has come to Boston at least once. She's recently came to Boston, Kamala Harris, vice president. Biden, I know he vacations on Nantucket every year. That's like a thing he does, I guess. Well, he does Thanksgiving on Nantucket. Something like that. That's like a thing he does with his family. But he came to Somerset. We talked about that a lot because he wanted to go to Brayton Point and talk about how, you know, Brayton Point's going to be the uh, basically the charging station for offshore wind. Um, he wanted to talk about, you know, this is when he was trying to get the climate bill, which he eventually passed. And he had, uh, you know, he'd taken, that was in Congressman Jake Auchincloss's district. So he had taken Jake Auchincloss. Obviously, Bill Keating was there because it borders his district as well. Um, and... It was a really important nationally televised conversation when he was trying to get this climate bill that he eventually got passed, um, you know, through Joe Manchin, that he eventually got passed. He came today to talk about his cancer moonshot initiative at the JFK library. And, um, you know, one of his comments that I thought was interesting was he said, you know, the Massachusetts delegation is the best in the country, which sounds like a lot of like puffery, right? Until you actually think about the Massachusetts delegation and how much power that they have in the next, in this, um, in this con, uh, in this, in this session. Right. So you've got, I mean, it's really, there aren't many, very many delegations across the country 
that can that can rival it. You know, you've got um, you've got uh, you know Bill Keating, who sits on our congressman. Bill Keating, like you think about every, like just, you know, you take all of them. You think about all of them. You've got Bill Keating who sits on the uh, House um, Committee for Foreign Affairs, the uh, Armed Services Committee. He's always um, touring with uh, Nancy Pelosi, going to Europe, talking with NATO, talking with, you know, remember when all of this uh, this um, conflict in the Ukraine kicked off, he was, it was him. Bill Keating was on, you know, on uh, on the went to Europe with with Speaker Pelosi to go talk to um, Vladimir uh, Zelensky, right? And the mayor of Kiev. You know, he he's you know, he's on a first name basis with a lot of the world leaders, right? Across the across the globe. He goes to the UN, he goes to NATO, and he talks with these world leaders to try to come to a conflict resolution. Very much an expert and a leader in Congress in foreign policy is Bill Keating. Not to mention a really good congressman gets I think gets a lot of stuff done for our district. You look at Jake Auchincloss Jake Auchincloss has only been in Congress for a couple of years, but he's already he's already um, vice chair of the Financial Services Committee with uh, Maxine Waters, right? He's vice chair of the Financial Services Committee. He sits on the he sits on the um, House Transportation Committee. He helped write that massive legislation, that bipartisan infrastructure bill, which Biden came to talk about, and. Um, Biden actually called him out. He goes, he's doing a great job. He's just too young. But I think, you know, so far he's had, and then, you know, this could be something that they do for newer members of Congress that they like, but so far he's had Doug Emhoff, the second gentleman of the, uh, of the United States visit his district. He's had, um, Nancy Pelosi, the speaker of the house visit his district. And he's had, who, who gave him that vice chairmanship. And he's had, uh, the president of the United States visit his district. So, I mean, clearly a rising star in the Democratic Party. He makes a lot of national circuits. He also makes it, makes it a point to come here in WBSM uh, all the time with uh, with me and with Chris, and, and we really appreciate that. Uh, you've got Catherine Clark. Uh, she's the assistant speaker of the House, right? She's the assistant speaker of the House. Um, so uh, very high-ranking membership. And you look at Jim McGovern up in, in Central Mass., uh, he's the chair of the House Rules Committee. And it was funny, the last, you know, I talked about this, uh, the last time that a sitting president came to, the last time a sitting president came to, when, before Biden, the last time a sitting president came to Massachusetts, came to the South Coast specifically, was when Bill Keating came to Fall River to, he went to Kennedy Park to campaign with <clears throat> Uh, campaign for John Kerry because he was he had that competitive Senate race with um, uh, with Bill Weld, who was the governor at the time, with John Kerry he ended up winning obviously with John Kerry and with uh, McGovern uh, and uh, with Jim McGovern who ended up beating Peter Blue in uh, in Central Mass, and he's the chair of the House Rules Committee. He makes all that makes the rules for 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 the the Congress, and then you have Richie Neal, who's the chairman of Ways and Means which is maybe the most powerful committee appointment that you can get is ways and means because you write the budget, you hold the purse springs, the purse springs, the purse strings for the entire country, right? So Richie Neal writes the budget. He writes the budget. Um, And, you know, Ayanna Presley, I don't think has necessarily a leadership position yet, but she's obviously one of the leaders of that, you know, the... um, 
she's yeah, she, you know, she's one of the leaders of the squad. Uh, you know, one of the the progressive sort of firebrands. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, Ilhan Omar, um, Jamal Bowman, right? Um, you know, definitely a vocal leader in the house. Uh, and am I missing anybody? I mean, you got Seth Moulton, Lori Trahan. It really is a strong delegation, uh, delegation, though. It's a strong delegation that we have in Massachusetts. So I thought that commentary on Biden was, Biden was pretty interesting. He talked about um, federal funding going to Logan Airport, and he said, you know, no airport in the, you know, no, the, mass, uh, the, the United States doesn't have a single airport in the country that ranks in the top 25 in the world. That makes sense because we've, I think, woefully ignored our transportation infrastructure and... Uh, you know, um, a lot of our other infrastructure, pipeline infrastructure and all that uh, in particular. But um, I think it's, again, significant that he came to Massachusetts. You know, one of the reasons is he's doing his cancer moonshot initiative to find a, you know, trying to find a cure for cancer. It's one of those things. Yeah, I hope he does. Um, I hope he does. But in a country like America, how much is it going to cost us, right? Who's going to be able to afford it? And 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 you know they haven't because there's wealthy people dying of cancer. Joe Bo, uh, Joe Biden's son has has uh, has died of cancer. That's a you know so obviously it's a it's a very important thing to him because Joe Biden's son Bo Biden, who I think you know I think was being groomed for the position of president. He was at the time the attorney general for uh, for Delaware. He died of cancer. He had a massive brain tumor. He went and served overseas while he was attorney general as well. Uh, he served um, he served overseas in either Iraq or Afghanistan. While uh, while he was attorney general, came back. He died of cancer. While Joe Biden was still the vice president of the United States, Obama actually is the one that eulogized him uh, at his funeral. So it's I think it's obviously a cause that's very close to Joe Biden um, because he lost his he lost his um, he lost his son to cancer. And, you know, I've, of course, I think it'd be great if they could find a cure for cancer. I've had multiple family members pass from cancer. I think everybody has at this juncture. Um, but one of those things, like, you know, I think if they had it, they would have. You know, a lot of people say they already had it. If they think if they had it, they, you know, there's a lot of people that probably wouldn't have died that died. Um, but, uh, you know, the one of the reasons is Massachusetts has a very strong life sciences industry, if you don't know. Uh, in the last decade, I think the life sciences industry in Massachusetts has grown like 35%, right? And it's growing still. Uh, obviously, Moderna uh, is a big company. There's a lot of – and a lot of that has to do with the, the universities that, that have come – you know, the universities that are here in Massachusetts where there's a lot of – you know, there's a lot of educated people that just end up staying up here. So life science – you know, Massachusetts is one of the centers for life sciences. In fact, actually, ironically enough – uh, Middlesex County became one of the biggest hotbeds for uh, hotbeds for COVID in 2020 because there was a international life sciences con- uh, conference in like the uh, Boston area where someone came from China and brought the, you know, I think there were more, more than one person that came from China where the virus had or, uh, originated and brought the virus, you know, spread through Middlesex County. It was like a hotbed 
uh, for quite some time. But I think it's significant that Biden's coming to Massachusetts quite a bit. Um, I think the Democrats in particular have had a pretty good. I mean, no no Democrat in the in the in Congress here is in any jeopardy of losing their seat. They've all got safe reelections. Uh, you know, um, some of them don't even have you know opponents in the in the general election. But um, I think the Democrats and Biden, I think this is part of a really good couple months with Biden. I think he's peaking at the time at, at just the right time uh, to to maybe shift the momentum in the midterms, because for a while and it looked like and this is a this is really a typical trend uh, when the party when the, there's a party, the party out of power almost always wins the midterms, you know, the last time and sometimes it carries state and you know, the state races with them. Like 2014 was a really bad year for, for Democrats. It was Obama's uh, last off year as president because he had just won re-election. And, you know, in 2012, uh, and that was also the year that Charlie Baker uh, won his, um, you know, his governor's race against Martha Coakley. I think it was like 58, uh, 52, 48%. It wasn't that close, but um, now... And then Obama had lost the Senate. Mitch McConnell finally became Senate Majority Leader. They ended up taking back the Senate. Just that they didn't take back the Senate until 2020. But now, it, what it looked, what looked like kind of a bloodbath for Democrats, is starting to look like this might be the first time in a while that the Democrats or the party in power is able to maintain both chambers of Congress. Because remember, Trump got washed in 2018. Uh, got washed by um, by the uh, in the House, uh, but now it looks like. But last time, it looked like a lot of people split their ticket in 2020 because a lot of people voted for Biden, but clearly didn't you know wanted their member of Congress or even senator to be a Republican. They just were tired of Trump. But now it looks like the polarities reversed a bit. And now the Democrats are very likely to pick up the Senate. They're very likely to pick up the Senate. I they're favored to pick up the Senate. They're going to pick up Pennsylvania, uh, which is a um, outgoing Republican seat. They're going to pick up Pennsylvania. John Fetterman, the lieutenant governor, is going to win there. Uh, Mark Kelly is going to keep his seat in Arizona. Um, it looks like Raphael Warnock. I think he's going to hold on. That's a closer race than it probably should be. Part of the reason is they have a governor's race on the ballot, too. Brian Kemp's running for re-election. He's running against Stacey Abrams again. But Stacey Abrams doesn't have the same kind of momentum that she did last time. I think, you know, um, I don't know. It seems like that campaign's pretty much out of gas. But in Georgia, it looks like Warnock's going to hold on against Herschel Walker because Herschel Walker is a uniquely bad candidate. I mean, everything that could go wrong for a candidate, Herschel Walker has going on. So in Georgia, they're going to they're probably going to keep that seat. North Carolina looks like it could be... Uh, up in the air, Wisconsin longtime incumbent Ron Johnson might lose to Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes. It's fairly close. Uh, there is a governor's uh, election on the ballot uh, this year too. Tony Evers, who beat Scott Walker in 2018, uh, Scott Walker ran for president uh, in 2016, which was funny um, that he thought he could be president. But Tony Evers beat him. And now Tony Evers is running for re-election. There's a governor's race on that ballot. That could definitely, and I think Tony Evers is favored to win his election. So that could definitely influence the um, the Senate race. But it looks like Biden's had quite a good month. He's 
you know, he's uh, got the Inflation Reduction Act passed. I think they just signed it today. Um, the economy's rebounding a bit. Uh, inflation's still, you know, still it's gone. It's going to take some time. Uh, gas prices have dropped uh, almost like fifty cents over the summer. So it looks like the Republicans really fumbled a, 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 a pretty easy opportunity to to make some serious gains, serious electoral gains, and really disrupt Biden's agenda. Now, the way it works basically, because we have this dumb, you know bicameral legislature is that you can just basically take one of those houses uh, one of those chambers and you're going to get and you're going to be able to to block any sort of legislation from happening like you can take the house and then that's it right you can take the house and that's it they can just that's what happened with obama they kept the senate the democrats kept the senate but the republicans took the house and that was it he wasn't able to get anything through because the house wouldn't pass anything but keeping the senate is more important because there's cabinet appointments, right? He's going to have to make new cabinet appointments. Uh, when, you know, as a cabinet members eventually leave, he's going to have to um, hopefully re- uh, appoint a new Supreme Court justice. Hopefully one of those guys steps down or something. But maybe appoint a new Supreme Court justice, right? Or even uh, judicial nominees, making judicial, no- uh, putting uh, putting forward uh, nominees for the judicial bench, building up, a, building up a good farm team, basically, for the Supreme Court. So, um Again, I think Biden's massive visit here to Massachusetts to the Commonwealth is part of a uh, a part of a uh, a pretty pretty good couple of months for Biden that I think really reverses the polarity um, of these of these midterm elections. Uh, so interesting stuff. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to South Coast Night. I'm Marcus. 508-996-0500 is how you can get on. Kind of open phone lines. We've been covering a lot in the last few hours. I talked a lot about the um, progressive uh, prosecution stuff. Um, we talked about, uh, you know, the the DA's race between Rasan Hall and Tim Cruz in Plymouth County. So, again, if you're, you know, in Rochester, Marion, Mattapoisa, Lakeville, uh, Plymouth, Middleborough, uh, Wareham, you know, in our listening audience. Uh, Carver, you, um, you know, you're impacted by that, uh, by that race. And it, it puts two very different candidates against each other, very, very differing, uh, very differing, uh, philosophies. So, um, you know, there's just kind of an interesting trend I picked up on. There's obviously a couple races going on right now. You have, uh, it looks like Dan McKee, Uh, in Rhode Island, there's a primary going on right now between, um, you know, uh, Dan McKee, who's the in- incumbent uh, Democratic governor. Um, just he looks like it looks like he's going to win. He's up a couple percentage points right now with like, I think it says 90 percent of the the 90 percent of the vote coming in. It looks like he's going to win that election, but it's it's a lot closer, I think, than people had realized. Um and Ted Nisi saying maybe one of these candidates was saying uh, a candidate staying in the race despite the fact that their campaign collapse might be swinging the race in Dan McKee's favor. But it looks like Dan McKee's going to win this primary, uh, which isn't much of a surprise. That woman, Helena Folks, uh, she was impressive, but she came on, I think, a bit too late. I think if she'd come on, like if she'd gotten this momentum a little bit earlier, she would have she would have won. But what's what's um. 
What's interesting, and Dan McKee's going to win the governor's race. I think that I don't think that Republican race is, is expected to be competitive. Although Rhode Island for a while was a lot like Massachusetts in, the, in that they would have, uh, you know, they were a bit more purple in their state legislature. They'd have a Republican uh, Republican governor for a long time. Uh, Lincoln, I mean, the, the last Republican, I'm going to call him a Republican governor, is Lincoln Chafee because he was a Republican in the Senate. He lost his re-election to Sheldon Whitehouse in 2006, and then he um, then he ran as an independent for so the so he's been in, in an elected office. I know he ran for Democrat as uh, for he as a Democrat for president, but that doesn't count. The, he's only been in elected office as an independent or in um, or a Republican. I guess he's the last Republican sort of governor that they elected. Even the race between Alan Fung and Gina Raimondo was pretty close. You could argue that the third party who got 28% of the vote in that race actually swung it maybe more in Raimondo's favor because Alan Fung, I think, got 36% of the vote. Gina Raimondo got 40% of the vote. So that was a fairly uh, close uh, election as well. And Alan Fung might actually take the congressional seat over there. It might be the first congressional, the first federal elected official elected in Rhode Island since uh, Lincoln Chafee, actually, in, in 2002. Uh, that's a Republican. But uh, they used to be like that. They're not so much anymore. It looks like Dan McKee is going to win that race. And if he wins that race, he's going to win the election. Uh, in New Hampshire, uh, you know, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of, I, I guess, similarities between, um, you know, the governors in New England, the Republican governors in New England, and that they're, I think, trying a bit more to moderate their stance. I know Sununu in the past has supported Trump, but it seems like he's distancing himself from him. He called him effing crazy. Uh, at a fundraising event, um, Corey Lewandowski, who, who was mentioned in the last hour, tried to run a, I think, run a primary against Sununu, which he won pretty easily. The Sununu family in New Hampshire, um, almost like the Kennedys, because, you know, they had a brother. They, his brother, John Sununu, was a senator. His dad was a governor in New Hampshire and, and I think the chief of staff to George H.W. Bush. So, I mean, very involved in, in, in uh, New Hampshire, very entrenched in uh, New Hampshire politics. He's probably going to get reelected, but that seems to be the formula for New England Republicans. Um, but there's, I guess, a dynamic here that, you know, I think Trump's trying to make his mark. He tried to make his mark in New Hampshire. It didn't work. He's trying to make his mark here in Massachusetts with, with Jeff Deal. That worked for the primary. You know, I think it said a lot about Chris Doty's campaign that he, no one knew who he was six months ago. No one knew who he was six months ago, and he got forty-five percent of the vote on primary day. It a lot of again. I think it was a campaign that got momentum just a bit too late uh, because I think what people are realizing now is, you know, this race doesn't appear to be now the general election doesn't appear to be very competitive at all. I'm not saying Chris Doty would have been a lot more competitive, um, but he would have then actually would have been a lot more competitive. But it doesn't necessarily mean he would have been competitive. I don't think. You know, so, and in Vermont, you got Phil Scott, the Republican governor in Vermont, who said, he, he openly said, I'm voting for Joe Biden instead of Trump, which I kind of prefer as an answer, like when Charlie Baker said, I'm not voting in, in the presidential election in 2016. I kind of prefer you just, just tell us who you voted for, you know, uh, but um yeah, I mean, I guess that seems to be the formula that works here in in uh, in Massachusetts for Republicans. You have Charlie Baker, Charlie Baker, who is going to be the last uh, elected Republican uh, in uh, statewide in Massachusetts, probably for quite some time. 
he's uh you know distanced himself from trump um jeff Thiel kind of chased him out of the primary i think i think if baker ran that primary i think he would have won because no one knew who no one knew who chris doty was in in uh no one knew who chris doty was six months ago and he got 45 percent of the vote so you can't tell me the sitting governor of the commonwealth couldn't have survived a primary challenge from deal if that's the case right so but I mean, but I, you know, I, I just think it's interesting that you, you've got that's the that's the formula for winning for Republicans in Massachusetts or in New England, and it seems like the Massachusetts Republican Party is willing to sort of just throw that all out and try for the more like you know try for the ideologue, go for the ideologue, and i gotta say it's i you know i think i think people are going to be underwhelmed at how uncompetitive this race is and it's bad for it's bad for us when the races aren't competitive right it's bad for us we don't get to see people try us i mean you don't get to speak you don't get to see as many debates right there's not as many there's not as much discussion around you know who's uh, there's not as much debate or discussion right like andrea campbell today had said uh when they asked her you know, if you're going to debate, are you going to debate your opponent, Jay McMahon, who's a trial attorney in Buzzards Bay? And she said, we'll see, right? She doesn't really have to. She's going to win that election. She's going to win easily. With Deal, he didn't want to debate Doty, but now he wants to debate more Healy three times. She agreed to one debate so far. But again, it's like she doesn't have to. Lieutenant Governor debate, I imagine there's one of those. I don't even know. I imagine there's one of those. Um, for Secretary of State, if I were Bill Galvin, I wouldn't even agree to share the stage with uh, Rayleigh Campbell, right? It's like offensive, you know? She's awful. She's an awful, awful person. So, and she's a joke. You know, she went up to the stage in the RNC and said, uh, that students were kindergartners were forced to perform acts on each other by their teachers, just insane stuff. Like that's the kind of tickets that they're deciding to run now, instead of a more moderate approach. The only candidate that really fits that bill of us who could be a successful statewide Republican really is Anthony Amori. But I think the problem is Anthony Amori. There's too much problems in, higher up in the ticket for Amori. To compete with um, Zaglio, maybe not. I mean, he—he, he, I think he's got a strong platform. He, you know, he—he's he very nonpartisan. Talks about his experience, and he's like, you know, I think that's part of his. He says not whatever experience, not politics or something like that is his, is his tagline. But I think if you know Baker's putting his weight behind Amore, part of it's because he doesn't want to deal with the, the top of the ticket. It's like, why would I even waste my time? Right. Why would I put the albatross around my neck for people that, first of all, have been nothing but hostile to me? And second of all, that are that are going to lose, that are, that are going to lose. Right. Why don't you don't want to tie if someone's going to lose? You don't want to tie yourself to them. If you know they're going to lose like Jeff Deal, like and you don't want to tie yourself to them. I'm almost surprised Baker doesn't endorse Healy. They seem to have a pretty good relationship. Right. They publicly they seem to get along very well. And during the campaign, I more Healy said nothing but nice things about uh, about Charlie Baker. She went out of her way to sort of praise um, praise Baker because she knows how popular he is. Actually, I remember when I was talking about all the you know, I asked the 
when I interviewed all the lieutenant governor candidates during the campaign, I asked them what they thought of Karen Polito, and they all said, oh, I think they, um, I think she did a great job, right? Even though it's an opposing party, right? It's an opposing party, and you want to be a new uh, a Democrat with an outgoing Republican party. They were basically saying, oh, I think she did a great job because they knew how popular she she was. And they had a chance. I think if Baker ran again, he would have he would have won. I think if he ran again, he would have won. The, the approvals were up there. He's already the incumbent. You know, Massachusetts is doing pretty well. And but instead, it's kind of perplexing to me. The Mass GOP decided to go with this um, Star Wars bar scene of of candidates. And uh, even the one com- race that might be competitive, I don't might not be because of the problems at the top of the ticket. And I asked, uh, you know, Maury's challenge is, you know, there's there's this whole thing now. Everybody wants to debate everybody all the time. And it's, you know, it's an old tactic to call people out for multiple debates. Like, you know, Maury wants five debates and it's not going to happen within a month. There should be, I think, more than one for the office auditor. Uh, It's an important office that people should really know about. And the only way to really know about it is to go out there and, and sort of spread that message. But, you know, five is, I think, a bit too much. I tried to get one here. Uh, I don't know if it's going to work, but 508-996-0500. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. Yeah. Uh, Marcus, I got a question for you. Sure. Uh, do you know if Ken Pittman's going to be on Saturday? Um, not sure. I mean, he, he was last week, so he might. I know he was, but I'm just curious if he was going to be on this week. I am. Uh, I'm unsure yet. I mean, I can get that answer for you maybe tomorrow. Uh, but uh, I haven't. I haven't heard. Like you know, I, I'm out. Of, I'm outside of those decisions. You know that that that, that gets made above my head. So if Ken doesn't, if Ken doesn't go, Jess will be there in the morning, probably, and Paul will be be there in the afternoon. Um, but if not, then Jess will be there in the afternoon. Well, are you going to be on tomorrow? I'm on every night. Well, every- I'll tell you what, then, my friend, and I say that with respect to you. I will call you tomorrow. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. And keep up the good work. I appreciate it. Thank you. You and Chris are doing an outstanding job. Thank you. I really appreciate that. You're more than welcome. Have a good one. 508-996-0500. New Bedford's News Talk Station. Marcus, Chris will be back tomorrow. Tomorrow we have Evan Gendro coming in. Uh, Evan Gendro is running for rep in, uh, so if you live in the towns of, uh, all in our listening audience, if you live in the towns of Westport, Freetown, parts of Fall River, Akushnet, and did I miss one? I think it's Westport, Freetown, Fall River, and parts of Akushnet. So if you live in those towns, then you're definitely going to be interested in this race between Evan Gendro and Paul Schmidt, right? Evan Gendro ran against him in 2020, got 40, 43% of the vote, you know, Schmidt won fairly easily, but that's not, not the, for, for a first time candidate and campaigning the, the pandemic, I think that's significant. So we're going to have Evan Gendro in tomorrow. We're going to be able to talk from him, uh, with him at eight o'clock, Chris and I, we're also going to talk to Paul Schmidt uh, a couple weeks later uh, and Again, that's a race uh, that you definitely want to look out for in uh, locally. You know, everybody's going to be paying attention to the, uh, obviously, the countywide uh, race with Hodgson and, and uh, Haru. But that's a race I think is worth worth paying attention to. I wonder if that, 
going up the ticket a bit. I wonder if that impacts. Well, is that up the ticket? Is actually, I because when I filled up my ballot, that was lower on the ticket. The sheriff's race is lower on the ticket than than the uh, than the state reps race. But everybody's going to be looking at the sheriff's race. But there's some still some good general election action coming on uh, coming on here, and one of them is is Evan Gendro and um and Paul Schmidt who are going to be here. Again, uh, Evan Gendro is going to be here, and then we have uh, Paul Schmidt in the books as well. So I'm looking forward to hearing from from both of those candidates. If you're looking for like some competitive congressional elections, you're not going to see him here uh, in Massachusetts. You might go to Rhode Island and see Alan Fung, who's the mayor of Cranston, going up against Seth Seth Magaziner, who is uh, he is the uh, treasurer uh, over Rhode Island. He's the treasurer of Rhode Island, but. Uh, he doesn't actually live in the district. He just bought a house. I think he just moved to East Prowse. He doesn't actually own a, uh, an address in the district. But um, uh, Alan Fung has been the mayor of Cranston for a while. He's run for governor twice. Uh, fairly close, I think, elections. Uh, he's pretty well-liked, a pretty moderate guy. He's the mayor. He's really popular in the biggest city, biggest whole city in that district. So that might be a local congressional race. Because every member of Congress, every House member, I think the only federal delegate is Susan Collins. Susan Collins, I think, is the only federal delegate. Uh, so that might be a race that maybe, if you're interested in other congressional races, that might be that might go Republican. In New Hampshire, it's I think New Hampshire's there's some Chris Pappas. Might they say he might be vulnerable? But it looks like they're um, electing one. Of, they're they're pri- running one of those Q people in the primary, so probably not. So it looks like Alan Fung might be the one to watch out for uh, if you're if you're looking if you're in the business of looking for. Hey, let's is there a competitive congressional election here in New England? Alan Fung, I think, is Alan Fung and Seth Magaziner. I think is the one, um, and I, that's one that the Republicans. You you know when you know it, you know it's competitive when the national parties are, are are paying attention to it. So if national Republicans are even looking in New England's direction. Right, and they're looking at a congressional race. Then they think it's competitive, and they're going to put some money behind it. They're going to put some dollars behind it. So that's going to be um, that's going to be pretty interesting, I think, to see. All right, five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Take a break. We'll be right back. Lightning round of what's happening in the primaries in New Hampshire and Rhode Island. Looks like uh, this Caroline Leavitt, who's um, very very conservative, won uh, her Senate. Uh, her house uh, primary, the GOP primary for ha- the House uh, against incumbent Democrat per- Chris Pappas. Why I think it's interesting and why you think you might care is that the person who came in third was Gail Huff Brown. Gail Huff Brown is the wife of Scott Brown. Um, it's kind of interesting, although Scott Brown did become the ambassador in New Zealand and basically escaped the entire COVID-19 pandemic. So um, I think in the end he won, but I don't know. It's It's still interesting. Scott Brown went from winning a historic... Uh, Senate election, like a groundbreaking historic Senate election that, like, safe to say, changed the course of history um, because it jammed up a lot of Obama's legislative goals uh, to losing in, in, you know, losing his bid for reelection, then going to lose another Senate election uh, in New Hampshire running against uh, Gene Shaheen, who's who's uh, still senator up there. And then now his wife has come in third in a congressional primary. So, um yeah, I guess how the money have fallen. But 
I'll see you guys tomorrow. I'll be in with Chris. We're going to have Evan Gendro in. We're going to be talking about a lot of stuff that's happening uh, here and across the state. And stay tuned and call in. And thanks for calling in. And thanks for messaging on the app chat. I'll, I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Bye. So long. Farewell.